remember that, um, that commercial with the camel? And no, I don't mean the cigarettes one. I mean the camel walking through the office. Hey, 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 hey. Do you know what day it is? What day is it, Bruce? What is it? Oh, dear God. This is the, this is the depravity of our commercialized culture right here. Hump day. It was exciting for the camel to have hump day. Wednesday, midweek. It was a very important day for that camel, apparently, and for Geico. To 15 minutes can save you 15% or more. <laughs> Today's a special day. Anybody know what today's national holiday is? It's a couple. It's National Cheesesteak Day. Thank you. It's also National uh, Chocolate-Covered Raisin Day, which is, who cares? I mean, that don't make a raisin better. I just can promise you right that. So what I do, I just suck the chocolate off the raisin and spit it out. Do not ruin perfectly good chocolate by putting a raisin in the middle of that thing. March 24th, uh, 30 years ago, it's a historic day. It was the day that the Exxon Valdez uh, crashed in Alaska. Two, 250,000 barrels of oil poured out, and, or no, millions of barrels poured out. 250,000 um, animals were killed during that. Just a nasty environmental mess 30 years ago today. Uh, anybody in the room have a birthday March 24th? Anybody have a birthday today? You're here Today, celebrating the Lord's Day by being in church. Yeah, you see, slackers, slackers. The people that are having birthdays aren't even here today. I had a gift for somebody who had a birthday today, but okay, apparently not. I'll wait till second service. We got a lot of birthdays in there, I'm sure. So one of the most important days can be the day you're born. Uh, the second most important is when you discover why you're born. Understand that the word of the Lord is not just a history book, but it is God's word about himself, and it's also God's story of himself and also how you're involved in that story. It's an important day when we discover that good news. There are important holidays that we, probably we would say for most of us, Christmas feels more important than Valentine's Day. Um, your birthday is probably more important than just Columbus Day to you. Uh, there are important days that mark special holidays in the year. And as we're studying uh, the statements of Christ on the cross, the gold from Golgotha, I want to jump in by talking about a very special, in fact, it is the most important day of the Jewish calendar. Jesus was Jewish. The prophecy said that, that it wasn't, wouldn't just be anybody that would be the Messiah. They would have to come at the right time. They would have to come from the right family tree. Uh, they had to come from the right birthplace. They had to be Jewish. They had to be from Bethlehem. They had to come in a certain time of, of history according to prophecy. Jesus fulfills all those things, and none of you get to choose when you were born, who your parents are, uh, or where you were born. Uh, unless you're the Messiah, you, you, you don't get to choose those things. And all throughout history of the Jewish people, there are special days, feasts, holidays, that commemorate how God had worked in their lives so that they wouldn't forget. We celebrate birthdays so that we wouldn't forget and we are thankful. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter because it is a time to remember and give thanks and have gratitude in our hearts. We celebrate who we celebrate my kids every day. I don't just wait till their birthday, but there's just something about an important day in history when my baby boy and my baby girl were brought into this world. And 
Janet having to go through all of that all day long, and all I did was eat tacos and Krispy Kreme donuts. It was a beautiful day for me, <laughs> a little bit tougher day for her. <laughs> Most important day of the Jewish calendar, you can write it down in your notes, it's called Yom Kippur. And that means the day of atonement. The word atonement, it's, it's a spiritual word for payment. In Leviticus chapter 16, we read about this special day set aside to pay for the sins of the nation of Israel. So another fancy word for atonement would simply be, or, or the, the, the uh, simple word would be payment, the day of payment. And on this day in uh, Jewish tradition, within the Jewish culture, uh, it is the only day of the calendar that the high priest, the chief priest of the temple, could enter into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place on earth. It wasn't just the temple of God, but then there were an outer courts, there were inner courts, and then beyond the inner courts, there was a veil that, that separated where everybody went, and there was only just one high priest that could, could go around the veil, and it was, a, it was a scary thing because the glory of the Lord was so powerful. They were, they were afraid that even if, if that high priest wasn't, wasn't right or wasn't ready, it, it, the glory of the Lord could kill that priest in that moment. And it's in this moment that the high priest, he takes off his, his robes and, and a special, he had a special uniform that was, that was set aside in the, in the book of the law that the high priest should wear. He takes those things off. In other words, he lowers himself, he humbles himself. And he, he, he then goes beyond this, this, this veil that was torn at the cross after Jesus died, showing that we all have access because there was one high priest above all high priests that paid for everything. And this high priest goes in humbled, derobed de and clothed in normal clothes and he makes atonement. He pays for the sins of the nation. And the way he pays for the sin is one sacrifice of two goats. This priest would take one, these two goats that would look similar, be the same age, be the, be the same as far as value. There wasn't a weaker one or a stronger one. They would, they would work meticulously to make sure these goats were close, uh, identical as possible. And they would roll dice, or, or the, the biblical piece was they, they, had, they didn't have dice, they had something called lots. And they, they would cast lots, and depending upon how the lots would be cast, that they would choose one goat to be the sacrifice, the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice on this day of Yom Kippur. And immediately this goat would be taken, held over a bowl, its neck would be slit, and its blood would be drained into a bowl. The high priest would take this bowl of blood, would take it behind the curtain, the, the veil, into the Holy of Holies, would place this bowl of blood on top of the Ark of the Covenant between both angels' wings of the cherubim. Then he would take a branch and, and he would dip it in the blood and he would, he would splatter on what is called the mercy seat. He would splatter blood and in doing so, there was a sacrifice. You, 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 sin kills. Sin brings death. And this is the only way they could atone or pay for their sins. It was ordained by God, directed by him, and they splatter the blood. 
and it's a sacrifice. Now he comes back out, and he's in front of the people. His hand, no doubt this is a, a bloody situation. He has blood on his hands, and he takes this other goat, and they wrap a scarlet thread around the horns of that goat, and the high priest, with blood on his hands, places his hands on top of the head of that goat, and he prays. And he prays over the sin of the entire nation. And he asks that God would take the sin from the nation and place it on this sacrifice. Then they take this goat. And can you imagine just from the goat's perspective, he sees his, his friend Billy, goat. And he says, I got to lighten the mood a little bit. It's a little thick in here. I can already tell. Can you, can you imagine what Keith the goat is thinking right now? He's like, oh, what's going to happen to me? I just saw Billy. Like, he's gone. And so they take the other goat who has handprints on his head of blood, takes him, and they lead him out away from the city, out away from the suburbs, out away from civilization. And he's placed out into the wilderness. In other words, it is a sign that God takes their sin and he casts it away. And that goat is let go, freed, not killed. And it's what they call the scapegoat. It's not escape goat. It's the scapegoat. In psychology, we talk about scapegoating. It's where one person will place their own issues on someone else. It's a biblical thing. And Jesus is the fulfillment of both of those sacrifices. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, Paul says, all of these festivals, the new moons, all those things, those are shadows of the things that were to come. They, 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 those are just shadows. The reality, however, is found what? In the scapegoating, that whole process, that whole holiday, the whole festival, the whole symbolic moment, those were shadows, but Jesus is the substance. Jesus is the substance of what the shadows were only signifying. He was truly the sacrifice. Seven statements on the cross. Windows into the soul of the Savior. We've come to the halfway point where we've had three statements. We're at the pinnacle now. And then we'll start walking down towards the last three statements. We find this statement in the book of Mark. Now when the sixth hour had come, noon, noon, high noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. It's during the sixth to the ninth hour we don't hear anything from Jesus. He's simply suffering. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for not just being a shadow, but being the substance. Thank you for these windows into the soul of our Savior. Teach us. 
would you, would, you, would you squeeze our hearts a little bit today? Not so that we leave in despair, but that we just leave that much more thankful for all you have done, all you carried, all you've paid for on the great day of atonement, the day that you sacrificed it all. Speak clearly that we would be not just in knowledge of what you've done, but we would be so grateful for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is the climactic moment of the cross. Everything is intense, but this is a climactic moment, especially after three hours of silence. He breaks that silence and it says he cries out. This is a very intense, emotionally charged statement from our Lord and Savior who is 100% flesh and also 100% divine. It is the climactic moment. It is also the saddest words on the cross. He has maintained unbelievable composure from trials accusing him of stuff that wasn't true to being beaten within an inch of his life by the, by the whip, to crown of thorns on his head, peer, beard being plucked out, to carrying the weight of the top beam, the patabellum, to then being nailed between two... And during that time, the first three statements we hear have nothing to do with all of the crazy pain he's going through. The first one is to us, Father, forgive them. The second statement is to his neighbor on his, le- on, on his side, a common criminal, criminal. Assuredly, I say to you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The third statement is, friend, take care of, take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. He's, he's, he's so focused on others and then there's silence. And we now are beginning to experience the weight Of everything Jesus is carrying. With this cry, something drastic is shifting in the Holy of Holies. Something drastic is shifting in the heart of our Savior. Though it was high noon, darkness had covered the earth. Though though Jesus was young, he was cut off at a young age. He was the Passover lamb at 3 o'clock that ninth hour... There's another special holiday going on, the Passover holiday. And on this day at 3 p.m., simultaneously happening where Golgotha, Jesus is being crucified, that high priest and all the temple, they are also celebrating that they are sacrificing another blood sacrifice. It is the Passover lamb that they're sacrificing uh, to celebrate what God did as he exodus them out of Egypt. And simultaneously, that Passover lamb is hanging on a tree, that's the shadow, he is the substance. Do you, do you see the, the paradox of Jesus? Do you see the, 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 the stark contrast? I mean, look at this. At, at his birth, when everything should be really dark, there's no room at the end, it's in the middle of the night. The, actually, the night is really bright. I mean, there's a choir showing up, singing to shepherds. At night, it's bright. At his death, the day is dark. When it should be its brightest, it's its darkest. Like, here's what we mean. Jesus changes everything. Like, like Jesus just 
changes everything. He's got the, he's got the, 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 the motive. He's got the reason. He's got the whole instructions. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And this is the moment, the spiritual moment, the holy of holies, the substantive, not the shadowing moment. This is when God himself places the hands on the scapegoat. And the weight of the sins of the world that were temporarily shadow, shadowly paid for through blood sacrifice of animals is now being ultimately paid for from the sins of the Garden of Eden to the sins until he comes back and returns. That heaviness, your sin and my sin, the stuff you've confessed and you're embarrassed about, the stuff I've confessed and I'm embarrassed about, all of that sin was placed on the scapegoat. He knew it was going to happen. All throughout Scripture, we understand it. That was the purpose he came to the cross. In Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. He became that scapegoat. Second Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin. For us, so that him, we might become the righteousness of God, so we may be made right with God. Before 400 years, 600 years before Jesus would even show up in, the, in, in his humanity and flesh, Isaiah in chapter 53 says, surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity. He has placed his hands on the head of his only son. And he's laid on him the iniquity of us all. We get a sneak peek into what Jesus is feeling through the book of Psalms written thousands of years earlier. And we see this prophetic moment where the cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And like Adam and Eve were turned out of the garden. This is his moment where Jesus is the most alone. Forsaken. Abandoned. Because he is the scapegoat. The reason it's dark. Everlasting darkness. The scripture talks about hell and gives several different names. One name is everlasting darkness. Right now, this is hell on earth. I believe the scripture shows us different images of hell. We have, we have so hung on to the fire part of hell that we think that's the issue. The issue is separation from God. Forsaken. Like if you don't want to live close to Jesus here, he will not force you to serve him there. And it's this moment where hell is on earth and Jesus is experiencing that separation. Why? Because he's the scapegoat. Why? Because he's the substance of the shadow. So here, here's what happens. He experiences darkness, guess what? So we can have light. 
Anybody thankful for that? He experiences total separation, so we would never be separated from the love of God for those that bow a knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. He experienced distance from his Father so we could draw near with assurance to the Father. He experienced death so we could experience life. If there was any other way to do it, don't you think that God would have shown us by now? Don't you think if there was any other way to do it, that when Jesus himself sweating droplets of blood, a a, a medical phenomenon based on carrying heavy stress, when he says, take this cup from me, don't you think that would have been the moment that God stepped in and said, okay, hey, I can do a different way. If everybody's just really good people, if everybody just like does good deeds, That'll take care. If everybody's just like, you know, thinks about me as the big man upstairs every once in a while. There was no other way to show how serious our sin is by God saying, no, 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 no. This is your cup. You're going to drink it. And Jesus says, your will be done. Your will be done. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, he had to go through it because there was joy beyond the punishment. There was joy beyond the sacrifice. But for the joy set before him, do you know, Timber Creek Church, you are the joy set before him. Because he knew where you would be in this moment in your marriage, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Dieball, you are the joy set before him. Duncan Unit, you are the joy set before him. No matter what you did, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, Lufkin location, the joy set before him, he endures it and he takes it all on himself. Now that's just not knowledge. That ought not to just make us feel good about the wisdom of this moment, but it ought, it ought to inform our thanksgiving and our gratitude. We don't need Pastor Cody to come up and tickle the ivories for us to worship and praise in this moment. We don't have to have the click, click, click and the, and the four to the floor on the bass drum and the words on the screen to begin to say, God, thank you. And I wish that all of us from Duncan to Dieball to right here would just take a moment right now and just say, thank you, Jesus. We are not gonna use this as just cerebral information we're going to say thank you for the cross lord thank you for what you've done thank you for how how much you bore for us may it inform not just our cerebral intellect may it inform our worship and our surrender and our gratitude for who you are and what you've done and that i was your joy set before you And you endured this moment of being forsaken. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, don't you love him? I think it's so easy in this Americanized culture to just take for granted all he's done for us. And I'm guilty. I am guilty. Guilty of it. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What's the gold here? 
What can we learn? How can this inform our devotion every day to him? Let me give you a couple of thoughts before we close. Number one, scripture in his heart gave him traction in his grief. It was, it was he, he didn't have a chance to pull the YouVersion Bible app out. There was a devotion to God long before the cross. There was a devotion to his father to get away. He didn't just talk about how uh, he showed them how to pray. He showed them how to have. He is divine, but yet he is spending time with his Savior, and he is in the word. Even at age 12, his mom's about ready to have a heart attack. She's like a scared mama running through six flags whose you know, 12-year-old son has gotten, has gotten sidetracked by the cotton candy guy. And, and she can't find him anywhere. And she, he's, he's not chasing cotton candy. He's sitting in the temple. And she, she says, I've been worried sick about you. And he says, I've got, don't you know i got to be about my father's business? Like he was just so dedicated to the things of not just his father on earth. I mean, he knew how to make cabinets. And this, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't he like a cabinet maker, a carpenter? He knew those things. That's just how he grew up. But he knew his father, father. And he knew him in his heart. And it wasn't just cerebral. It was down in his guts. Scripture in his heart gave him traction in his grief. He quotes scripture. This, my God, my God. We said it a couple weeks ago. That is not his quotation. It is, well, it is. It's the Spirit of God who gave that quotation to David. David wrote that in Psalm 22. And then Jesus plagiarizes David, but really it's his own words because he's the Spirit of God. Anyway, it's confusing. He quotes David by saying, my God, he quoted the Psalms. He quotes the Psalms more than any other book during his three years of ministry, during what we have recorded in, in Scripture. He understood the importance of knowing the word of God. So how does this apply? If you want to sing through your valleys tomorrow, you've got to have his word in your heart today. You cannot, it's going to be too late when the roof caves in for you to go find your Bible. You got to know in the moment when the rain begins to pour when the darkness covers the earth, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. That, that, that's not the time to go searching for the Bible and open it up and going, oh, uh, and trying to figure it out. It's, it's treasure, and it's not even buried. It's like right there. It is more available to you than any other generation that's ever been on the face of the planet. How dare we take that for granted? The book of Job, Job says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Friends, look at me now. Your kids need to be in church. Parents are the primary developer of kids' spiritual maturity. You, you, you cannot delegate that to the church by itself. But we also know that not everybody's walking through the doors equipped to be the primary spiritual developer. So not only do we want to offer these opportunities in KidWorks and in student ministries, it's exciting. We've got a new youth pastor. We're announcing him next Sunday. We're going to get to meet our new youth pastor next week. 
We care about the next generation, and you need to as well. And I'm telling you, proximity to other people, proximity to those moments of church service times where we worship and we learn the word, don't take those for granted. I'm scared about the parents who come once a month. I'm scared. It's hard for that stuff to like get in to the heart when it's once a month. It's hard. Consistency is important. And we want to leverage the resources of this body to help the net. We want more for the next generation. The book of Psalms, it says... The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon if planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. There's something powerful about it. Do my kids miss on occasion? You bet. Are my kids as involved as we feel like we can let them be involved outside of church? Yes. Does it mean that every once in a while we go to a baseball tournament? You bet. There's one coming up. And, and, and we appreciate the idea of those teams getting together and having a prayer before, uh, before a baseball game. Don't, I mean, like, we're, we're involved in that. But nothing takes the place. Nothing takes the place of family saying, get up, let's go to church together. Nothing takes the place of it. And we got to plant, plant those little kiddos, those little brats right here in the court of the Lord. So that, so that when your kids are grown and they're going through the same kind of hell you've gone through and they start saying things like, it's impossible. That because they've been planted and because mommy and daddy are, are going to chase that word like it's treasure more than daily bread. When, when you and your kiddos say, ah, it's impossible, you remember that God said all things are possible. When you say, ah, I'm too tired, your kids say, I just don't know if I can do it. He says, I'm going to give you rest. When you and your kids, you say, nobody really loves me. You say, oh, Jesus so loved the world. I can't keep going. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. You say, I'm alone in this. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. When you say, I don't have what it takes, he says, I will supply all your needs. When you say, I don't know, I'm just really, really worried about it. We don't go to the television. We don't go to Facebook. We go to the word of the Lord that's like treasure that we ought to value more than bread. And we say, I'm just really worried about it. And we remember that Jesus said, hey, cast all your cares on me. Looks like you already received the resource packet. Oh, let's not just be a church anyone can come to. Let's be a church that when you get here, you start learning how to memorize scripture. Let's memorize some scripture. Let's just, let, let, let's just get that word in our heart. Part of the grow track system that we provide gives you an opportunity if you'll put the work in. It's not just like, here, give me a Bible. <clears throat> Doesn't work that way. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Scripture in that moment gave him traction to the hell he was going through. Number two, he overcame despair by rushing to God in the middle of it. That despair was the feeling of being forsaken. That despair was the feeling of those hands being placed, all the sin of the world being placed on him. Don't you think it's appropriate 
that in the moment that all of that weight is placed on Jesus, that Jesus asks a question. And it is the question that we find ourselves asking when we feel the weight of life. It's a one-word question. Why? Why? Now, get this today. Get this today. He doesn't need to know why. It's like mom, when she gets close to our 10-year-old boy, and all she's got to do is, <sighs> and she asks a question she knows the answer to. Have you taken a shower today? She knows the answer. The answer is no. By just the presence of his being. <laughs> Jesus says, God, why? Does he know why? Yes. In fact, a week earlier in John chapter 12, he says, I know trouble is coming, but nevertheless, God put your glory on display. He knew since the beginning of time because he is not only father of God, he is the son of God. It's one in three, father, God, father, son, Holy Spirit. He knew this was coming. It was all part of the master plan. So he doesn't say why for you. He says why because he's the scapegoat because you say why. He doesn't ask why for himself. He asks why for you. So you would know in the moments where you say what in the world. He says, yeah, I felt some heaviness too. Look at this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interesting. Interesting in this moment that he says God twice. Do you know what we tend to do? In our tough moments, we tend to hang on to our why and we let go of God. But it's as if God, Jesus is hanging on to his father with both hands and he's letting go of his why. When you have a why, it is, you got a God for both hands, everybody. You've got enough God. He says, my God, my God. It's like two anchors in the middle of this dark Moment, You know, it's a prayer you can pray in the middle of your despair. You can write it down. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. God, in this moment right now, from Duncan to Dieball to Lufkin, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Let me finish. Number three. You and I never need to doubt God's love again. With all his son went through, I'm telling you, no one else is lined up to die for you in this way. No one. You don't ever need to doubt it again. Don't ever wonder. Don't ever sit in shame saying, I don't, how could God ever? You don't ever doubt the power of how much God loves you because of how much he spilled for you. Casper, Wyoming, a few years ago, a woman on Valentine's Day received flowers from her husband. Now that's not out of the ordinary. It's a nice gesture, but it's not out of the ordinary. What made this moment extraordinary was about four months earlier, her husband had died of brain cancer. It's a true story. So she thought, oh, maybe my kids 
put this together. So she called her kiddos. They said, Mom, no, we didn't, we didn't do this. She thought of her best friend. She called her best friend. She said, no, no, that I'm, this isn't me. And so she called the florist. And the florist said, about six months ago, your husband came in here. He knew that he was struggling. And he, he put together a program and he paid to where you will receive flowers on Valentine's Day for the rest of your life. So every day, every Valentine's Day for the last four years, this woman's been receiving flowers from her husband. He paid it forward. And as beautiful as that is, it could never even come close to scratching the surface of the love that God showed to you, paying it forward to all of us. I get in there, but I need to give you one last thought. And it's this, we, we will not escape if we neglect so great a salvation. Jesus didn't come because you walk with a limp. So he didn't come put his hand, your hand over his shoulder and, and help you walk with a limp. You were dead in your sins. Dead. Dead weight. Jesus doesn't die to make bad people better. He dies to make dead people live. And don't neglect that value of what God did. So hear me on this. Hear this sobering moment. Jesus, Jesus isn't the best way to heaven. Jesus, believe it or not, Jesus isn't the best way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. And so the same way that scripture gave Jesus traction through his grief, that final statement about not neglecting so great a salvation, that's just scripture. The book of Hebrews says it like this, what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself? Hear me very closely. This is a moment where you, you need to know. If you neglect Jesus and you never invite him to be your savior, you will go to hell forever. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. For every moment that we talk like this, we show you all the light and all the hope and all the handlebars you need to, to never even worry about that. But you need to know the truth. Jesus is the only way. Don't neglect. Do not trample on the beautiful gift God gave by placing his hands on the scapegoat. Eyes bowed, heads closed, the other way around, heads closed, eyes bowed, whatever it is. Everybody be quiet and just close your eyes. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you are dying in your sin and you need a savior today from all locations, you say, I need to surrender to the one who paid for my sin. If that's you, put a hand up in the air. I am dying in my sin. I need a savior. Thank you. Thank you.
anybody else. Your own words, gentlemen. Your own words, ladies. Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for not forsaking me. I confess you, our Lord. Help me to follow you today. For those of you that need to just be strengthened in your resolve today and stop walking in that shame and not doubting the love again. God, I pray that they would know that they know that they know you love them. That they don't have to hide behind a tree. They're afraid that you're mad at them, but that they come running to you because where else can we go but the arms of our Savior? We run to you today. Jesus' mighty name. Amen.